How about death or violence? I think all of these things have confronted us in the last two years in particular ways. And uh, we've all responded in different ways. And sometimes we've been, oh, yeah, I'm brave. And those people, they shouldn't be afraid. They should be good, strong Christians. And then something else comes along. And we're like, oh, no, no, no. And then those people are like, oh, what's wrong with you? It's always easier to see someone else's irrational fear. And it's always so rational, so reasonable, right? Um, but we all have some fears that we are confronting. What do we do with our fears? What do we do with the threats that come against us from outside? There's also internal threats. We're going to talk about those. But Acts actually gives us an example of how they face some fears. So how do we respond? Do we re respond as a fortress? What I mean by that is, oh, the curriculum in schools is so terrible. The, the, the things out there are so terrible. There's this, there's this thing coming, and, there, and, there's this, and there's those people who are coming, and then there's um, all that... Uh, liberalism or conservatism or whatever it is that your ism that your socialism or capitalism or some ism that's after you communism um, we want to lock the gates protect ourselves and especially protect our children right and the church sometimes responds as a fortress lock the gates keep those people out keep those bad ideas out or do we respond as a force one of the key core values we have as Bethel Christian Fellowship is that we are a force and not a fortress. With what force? Do we uh, money force, political force, uh, stronger force, physical force, or you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the nations. They needed power. They were asking about power. Are you going to deliver us from Rome? He said, I will give you power. We have power that the gates of hell cannot prevail against, as in we are storming the gates, um, not shutting the gates. What does it mean to be a force and not a fortress? Who do you fear? So we're into the acts and the words of Jesus and the Spirit. Um, I want to give a little reminder. Remember that we were talking about spiritual relationships founded on the word, worship, and prayer in with love. In this new community, the goal of the message was to become this community. And the means to do be witnesses was to be this community that was also out in blessing. And I want to say again that we are sent ones in all of our spheres. We're ministers not only when we're here, but when we're out of here. Um, and this is a little throwback. You'll remember just and loving relationships between people with God, with creation. They were sharing possessions and land. How? And that was supposed to attract the nations to them. So who do you see? This is a reminder from last time when we looked at the, the story of the lame man. And uh, do you see needy people? Do you see Jesus and his ability to meet those needs? I want to ask you, when you are out in your daily life, who do you see? I asked you to keep track of this this week. I hope you did. Who did you notice? Who did you see? And did you see Jesus' needs in those people? Did anybody have a story they wanted to share about that? 
Okay, we can talk about it later in the discussion groups. Um, then we talked about who is Jesus. And Peter explained who Jesus was. So, um, so I asked the worship team to stay up here because I was singing this song the whole time before last time. Though this is your review. Some of you, it'll be a review from Sunday school. Some of you have never heard this song. But come, let's, let's sing it. Um, but you have to stand up because there's actions with this song. So if you don't know it, we'll sing it a couple times. You'll learn it. This is review of last week. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John went to pray. They met a layman on the way. He asked for alms and held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but that which I have gives me In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter and John went to pray. They met a layman on the way. He asked for arms and held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. All right, thank you. And thank you all. Um, some of you, that's brand new. Some of you learned it like I did when I was this big. Um, and that's pretty much what happened in chapter 3 of Acts. <clears throat> now we're turning to chapter 4. So I learned that story as a kid, and, that, and it's like, that is a great story. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, through his sent ones, lifts up this person who's been lame for 40 years since birth. Amazing. And this is a pattern that happens throughout Acts. There's a miracle, then there's an explanation, and then there's salvation. It happened with, the, with the, the tongues, people speaking all these different languages, and then Peter explains it, and then there's these people that get saved. And that is the pattern that I learned growing up, and that I long for and, and keep longing for. want to see that happen. And all of us are like, boy, if we could just have more miracles and then we just have amazing stuff. Or maybe if the preaching was better, maybe that would help. And then we'd have so many, so many salvations. And uh, we, we long for that. And God is that. Okay? And one thing I want to encourage you, uh, two things. One was they were on the way to pray, as they did daily, in the temple, um, out in public with their, with their cohorts. So, so prayer is a good thing. They also were willing to be interrupted. And they saw this person, and they saw what Jesus was going to do for them. I want to encourage you that when we say everyone's a minister at Bethel Christian Fellowship, we do not mean only when you come here. We mean wherever you are. Amen from the bus driver. He knows that. Every place you are, in your family, in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, you are a minister. And maybe one of the things 
having the church closed for a little while reminded us is that, you know, I forget sometimes. People ask me, where is my church? And I say, oh, it's down by McAllister College, 1460. No, 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 no. My church is all over the city. My church is all over the world. We get together, sometimes here, sometimes elsewhere, to celebrate what God's doing, to pray, to, to hear from his word. But my church, most of the time, is out right with people. People who have all kinds of needs. People who God put in your way. I know those people are in the way sometimes. But God maybe put them in your way for you to be a blessing to them. So when we say we're sent ones, sometimes I know we, we want to emphasize that, you know, Ben and Hannah and the missionaries who are going cross-culturally are sent in a different way. But all of us are sent to the places we are, the, the schools that we're in, in, in the special ed classroom and the art classroom and the, the um, all kinds of places. I'm, I'm not going to go down everybody's places of work or retirement. Even if you're retired, you're still a sent one, right? Um, and we have opportunities to do ministry, be ministers, not only here, but out there. Now, here's the difficulty. Let's read chapter 4. You can open your Bibles, or you can look up there if you can see that. While Peter and John were speaking to the people. So they went... They had this miracle. They explained to them, and this is because Jesus is so amazing. We didn't do this. Jesus did this. That's the other thing. We can do good works for people and forget to mention to them, well, this is not really from me. This is actually a gift from God, from Jesus. I'm not, it's not just because I'm a good guy. It's because Jesus is good. They said it's in the name of Jesus, and they connected it with their history and the scriptures. When Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests the captain of the temple guard, the, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there's a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was nearly evening, put them in jail until morning. Now, we have to get out of our particular mindset because our mindset is that there are religious leaders, there are police, there are economic leaders, there are political leaders, and those are all separate in our society. They were not in this society. And in a lot of more traditional societies, they are together. So these were, so the Sadducees were religious leaders, but they were connected with the Roman government. They were favorites of the Roman government that gave them particular power, and, and the Romans gave them authority over Jerusalem, and especially the temple precincts. The Romans didn't come in there. They said, you police that. That's your territory. And that was, of course, the center economically, religiously, politically for the people of Israel. And the Sanhedrin, and specifically the Sadducees, had the 71 members of the, of the Sanhedrin had power over that place. The Sadducees were powerful within that. They were the economically and, and uh, you know, politically privileged. So they had the power to arrest these guys. They are the police as well as the religious leaders. So they're arresting them for heresy because they didn't believe in resurrection from the dead. But they were really, you know, they, they didn't want them to be um, agitators. 
because they're messing things up. The Romans are going to get upset if you go messing things up. We've got to keep control here or else the Romans will take away our power and they'll squash this whole thing. So, but, but many of the people heard the message of the, of the apostles, believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So I, you know, I like that part about the miracles. I like the part about the salvations. I like the part about the preaching. Yeah, preaching's boring, I know, but you know, it's, it's okay. Um, but it's this part that I don't like so much. Because this is also a pattern in Acts. Not only is there miracle preaching and salvation, there's also opposition. And there's opposition from the powers. What kind of threats do the powers bring? Well, they can bring destitution. They could take away their livelihoods. They could find them. Now, unfortunately, Peter and John have no silver and gold because they left their jobs three years ago. So that's not going to work with these guys. Um, they already gave that up. Um, disease. We find that in Acts 4 it is one of the threats. Denying freedom. They put them in jail. And in Acts 5, they put all of the 12 apostles in jail. They could dishonor them. They will dishonor them. Dirty your name. Shame them. Reject them. And they threaten them with death and violence. And we later see chapter 5 and 7, beating and the murder of Stephen and James by these authorities. Now, when we talk about the authorities, when we talk about the powers, there is both an internal and an external aspect. So these powers, these institutions, sometimes take on bigger meanings than, uh, or bigger, what do I want to say? Um, the, the external authorities are given to us by God. Colossians 1. Let me take you to Colossians 1. I should have written the scripture in here, but Colossians 1, verse 15. I want you to see two things. I want you to hear about the powers, and I want you to hear about Jesus' power. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. So there are authorities we can see and there are authorities we can't see. Th things we can see and things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. So these things were created through him and for him and to serve his people. So the priests and the leaders of the temple were there by God to serve the people, right? But this is the nature of all authorities. They tend to get selfish. And institutions, just like us, but it even goes beyond individuals so that the institutions tend to be most concerned about preserving themselves and their authority and their advantage. So the Sadducees are supposed to be serving the people, and they are. If it wasn't for us, the Romans would destroy you. So we're going to have to keep control here. You get what I'm saying? So they are serving the people, but they get to be not serving the people. And this is the tension we have, and all of us have felt it and struggled with it and argued with each other about it. Are the police here to serve us? Or do they sometimes more concerned about preserving themselves? Now, I'm not just talking about a policeman. I'm talking about the Minneapolis police force. Are, is the government here to serve us? Or does it sometimes feel like the government's more interested in serving its own 
self-perpetuation? Are the economic and, the, and the, the corporations here to serve us, or do they sometimes suck the life out of us as employees or, or stockholders? Or, or, or you, you get what I'm saying? There's an internal aspect as well. There's a spiritual force. There are spiritual beings behind some of these institutions that were made for, by God to serve, but they tend to become self-serving, just like all of us tend to become self-serving. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about this whole uh, theology of the principalities and powers, but sometimes in the New Testament it's talking about outside authorities, sometimes it's talking about internal spiritual authorities, and sometimes it may be talking about both. If it doesn't specify, it's probably both. But I also want you to notice what it says about Jesus. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead so he is first in everything for in god all in for god in all his fullness was pleased to live in christ and through him god reconciled everything to himself he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of christ's blood on the cross so he is reconciling his goal is to reconcile all of this to each other and to himself in verse uh colossians 2 14, it says, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So who killed Jesus? Well, the Sanhedrin killed Jesus. And Herod killed Jesus. And Satan killed Jesus. And the powers killed Jesus. They, together, killed Jesus. And now... Peter and John are in jail. And it ain't like a couple months, three months since Jesus was in jail and stood before them. What do you think Peter and John are thinking? You remember when Peter denied, oh, I, I don't know him. And that was to a servant girl, right? Uh, you got a Galilean accent. I think you might be with Jesus. No, 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 no. Don't know who he is. So they're in jail overnight. What are they thinking? What are they afraid of? The next day, um, the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other members of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? I want you to think about how intimidating that would be. Everybody's there. They come in, in their robes, like this is what, the Supreme Court sort of, right? They all come in in their robes and they sit down and this is the Reverend, Distinguished Doctor, Justice, whatever, and this is the High Priest, and this is, right? They all sit down and these guys... Peter and John get drug out in shackles. What are they thinking? And they say, by what power and what name, what authority, who gave you the authority to do this? Because the temple is where we have authority. And we didn't say you could do this. You do not have a license to speak in the temple. You do not have a degree to speak in the temple. You are not allowed who gave you the license? Right? So what do they say? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, 
said to them. Now, here's what I think Peter thought about as he was get his notes together for the case the next morning. I think about Luke 12, chapter, verse 11 to 12. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogue, Jesus says, when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. That's what I think Peter was thinking about. I think he was praying about that. Lord, you said, you promised that you would give me the right thing to say. I don't know if I said the right thing, but I... And when he got there, Peter was filled... I don't know if he was filled with the Holy Spirit in the jail, but when he was, got up to speak, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We said when the Holy Spirit fills people in Luke Acts, usually they say something. And filled with the Holy Spirit, this guy who was cowering before the servant girl says, rulers and elders of the people, very respectful. If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then I don't know. I don't even know, any, I don't know anything about this. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> That's what he would have said. We're being called to account for done a good deed done for a crippled man, a, a benefaction done for a crippled man. Do you want to know how he was healed? Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You want to know what authority we have? Jesus. His name. His authority. His power. The one whom you crucified. Boy, he's not pulling punches. The one you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name given to mankind by which we must be saved. Again, we said that word sozo, saved, means to be rescued from something. It's the same word they say, you want to know how he was healed? You want to know how he was saved? Well, I'll tell you what, there is no name that saves. There is no name that heals. There is no authority that rescues except one. If I'm alive after my surgery, it's because Jesus healed me. I appreciate doctors, but there's only one name that heals. Only one authority, one power, one creator of our bodies. If we are saved spiritually, it's only one name that's going to do If we're going to be saved as a church, as a society, there's only one name that has the power and the authority to do that. Now that is not a popular message. It wasn't popular then. It isn't popular now. The Romans were happy to have more gods. You know, they, they invaded the Greeks, and they're like, oh, yeah, let's add your gods. They look cool. They're wonderful. Oh, yeah, we'd like somebody in charge of that. That'd be cool. Adding Jesus was not a problem. And there's places in the world like that. I had an Indian friend who excited about this revival he had and all the people who came to salvation and then he realized later they were just adding Jesus to their list of gods. He had a whole lot more work to do. Jesus is jealous. He doesn't like to be one of your mistresses, one of your wives, one of your husbands. We get that picture of God, right? As a jealous husband. He wants to be the only name 
And if you declare this message in the privacy of our church here, that's fine. Our society is happy if you talk about that inside the walls of the church. Maybe inside your house. Maybe in a Bible study. No problem. But don't bring it to the temple. Don't bring it to the courts where everybody is, where the authorities are in charge. Don't bring it to school. Don't bring it to work. Don't bring it to any place else. Don't pray for people in the hospital. Don't talk to people at your work. Don't talk to people in your neighborhood. That's fine to have a private religion. Even you and your other people like that, you can have a private religion. That's fine. But don't come on my turf where I have authority and tell me that Jesus is the only one who has authority. Is that, is that right? Now, we don't have any particular, you're not likely to get thrown in jail for doing this. We just know that the sanctions are there. And we just self-censure ourselves. Right? Now, Scripture says to be wise as a serpent, innocent as doves. Right? So, use wisdom. Don't just go blasting in people's face. But when people say, how come you're so, I don't get why you get, why, why you love me the way other people don't, don't just smile and pretend you're a nice person. Say, so, well, that's because of Jesus and the way he loves me. Give Jesus' name the credit he deserves. That's not easy, is it? I admit it's not easy for me. Oh, I get the easy job talking to you guys, right? You're an easy crowd. People in your neighborhood, in your family, your school, your work might not be quite as easy a crowd. Do it wisely. But don't forget that there is only one name by which we can be saved. There really is. And now, that name can be different names. You know, if you're talking to a Muslim friend, you can use Isa, the name they know him by. Um, but it'll be a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation. But you can do it wisely. They know who Isa is. If you're, so, speak it in the way, so now, <laughs> what is the reaction to this? What would the reaction be at your place if you were this bold? What is their reaction? When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they were not expecting courage. I don't know if they knew what Peter had done last time, but they, he hadn't shown up last time. And they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So they were like, wait a second. These guys don't have credentials. They don't have any power. And yet they're talking back to us. We are the Supreme Court, and they're talking back like they're our judge. They're asking us questions. And the tricky thing was, the guy was standing there. So... They could see that their ordinary men had no special training in the scriptures, but they'd been with Jesus. So the, let me ask you a question. Were they untrained? 
No. They spent three years living and sleeping and eating with Jesus. Wow, what an education. The preparation you need is time with Jesus. Time with other people who've been with Jesus. Time with the apostles who were with Jesus. That's the preparation you need. Now, um, when I was growing up, you know, Pentecostals were poor and unschooled, and so we hung on to this scripture because that meant that we were better than those other people who had schooling. Um, now, Paul had all kinds of schooling. So it's not that God only uses people who never went to school, but it is that going to school doesn't make you any better, doesn't make you any worse. I, honestly, when I went to get a PhD, I was like, I don't think PhD and Pentecostal go in the same sentence, much less the same person. I have never seen that. It's not that God's against schooling. It's just that what matters is have you been with Jesus? And so don't sell yourself short if you didn't get some kind of education or if you have a particular other kind of education. What matters is have you been with Jesus? So they recognized they'd been with Jesus. But since they could see, remember our, our key word was see in this text? This is the second half of that text. They could see the man who had been healed standing there with them. There was nothing they could say. Even the authorities didn't discredit this miracle. They weren't like, oh, I think it's faith healing. Maybe it's psychosomatic. You know, a lot of people who are lame for 40 years from birth, they just stand up one day. No, they couldn't say that. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them, we must threaten them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is another key text, key thing in this text, remember? No, nothing in the authority of Jesus. You can talk on your own authority. You can quote anybody else. Just don't talk about the name of Jesus. Just don't use that authority. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judge i.e., you judges, we're all being judged. What do you think God's judgment is? As for us, we cannot help speaking about we, what we have seen and what we've heard. We're witnesses. We saw Jesus. We saw him do miracles. We saw him risen from the dead, and we can't help but talk about it. We heard him teach. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them. Because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old and had never walked in his life. So, they are, they're in a little bit of a pickle. These people with all the authority. Right? Because they don't know what to do. Now, what puts them in a pickle is the fact that Peter and John are not afraid. They've used every threat they can think of. We're going to dishonor you. We're going we're to throw you in jail. We could beat you up. We could kill you. And Peter and John are like, okay. We can't help but speak what we've seen and heard. 
It's our fear that keeps us in the fortress. That keeps us from being a force. Right? And when, there, when we get over our fear because we trust Jesus, things happen. Martin Luther King led the civil rights movement, bathed in prayer, meeting in churches, singing songs because... They had to not be afraid of the threats coming against them. They had to believe that God was on their side and God someday would overcome. And they could be thrown in jail and they could be beaten and things could happen because they believed that God was really on their side. And that if they revealed the injustice and if they loved the people who were coming against them, that eventually God would be victorious. Right? When people are fearless, it's very hard to stop them. I mean, that's why we have all this trouble with suicide bombers and uh, other people who don't care about dying. Because we assume people will be scared. So, now, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. What did they do? Immediately, they went back to their people. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord. What does that mean? Immediately, they begin with, who is God? They say, you are sovereign. You are the king. You are the Lord of all. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They reminded themselves. They reminded God, you're the creator. You spoke. You revealed yourself. You spoke by the Spirit through the mouth of your servant, David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one, against his Messiah, even before Jesus was, this was a, seen as a messianic text. But they're like, this is what had already happened. You even predicted this. So the first thing they did was go to their people and then they reminded themselves, who is God? Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. You anointed him. He was the servant you had predicted would suffer, the powers and the authorities all got together and ganged up on Jesus. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So we're not even afraid because what they did, yeah, they had all this authority, but everything they did, you'd have already planned that that would happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. So what do they do with all these threats? They just say, Lord, you heard it. Do whatever you want with it. They did not say, oh, Lord, please protect us. Oh, Lord, please shut the gates. Oh, Lord, please, please, please. They just said, you know what? You deal with that part. But here's what we ask. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your servant, Jesus. 
After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke God's word boldly. They've been threatened, don't say anything about Jesus. Don't say anything in the name or the authority of Jesus or else. And they prayed for the Spirit to give them boldness. Folks, we need boldness. I need boldness. I need wisdom, too, about how to do this well. So here is the whole pattern that's often in Acts. Now, not every time is every element there, but over and over you'll see this pattern. Miracles, preaching or explanations, salvations and opposition. Some people receive, many people reject. And then perseverance. Strength in faith and joy in triumph. Notice that they get to the joy because they persevere. Folks, we've got to persevere through our fears in the name of Jesus, not just in pulling up our bootstraps. So take some time, go back in this passage, dig out for yourself some of the things that they did so that they could be bold, so that we can be bold and courageous in this time with so many threats, so many threats out there. Now, we're going to see that there are threats internal as well later in the book, but those threats out there, how do we respond to fears and threats? Answer that question for yourself. Go back in the text, okay? I'll give you a few that I noticed. See and fear God. Peter was able to say, should I obey you or should I obey God? Because he saw God way bigger than these most powerful people in his society. If we see who Jesus is, his authority, we will have a different perspective. Go talk and pray with other believers. Go to church. Now, I don't mean this church. This is where we gather sometimes. Come here if that's a good place to do it. But get together with other people. Call them up. Get on Zoom. Be in there in person where you can hug and cry and pray together. Pray with them and say, hey, I'm, I'm afraid. I need courage just to live. Anybody need courage just to live these days? I need courage to speak and to act in Jesus' name. Pray to the Creator King, the Revealer King, the one who has it all. Ask Him to deal with the threats because He's the one who can deal with it, right? And ask him to give us boldness, courage, perseverance. Do you need boldness? Do you need courage? I do. There's a lot of things to be afraid of. And it's, and it's worn on us. All the threats and all the things to be afraid of. And, and, and even when we don't want to be afraid, we get triggered in those reactions way back in the lizard part of our brain, as uh, Cherry would say. We can be afraid even when we don't want to up, up here, right? But we need Jesus to give us courage. And somehow, the Holy Spirit filled Peter and enabled him to be courageous. The other thing we have to remember is that Peter saw, well, this is what Jesus did. And this is what the outcome was. And there was resurrection and there was joy. Okay? 
we have to know that Jesus promised us persecution. He promised us threats. If we're like, oh dear, there's going to be persecution. People won't like that. People might do, well, of course. If we're hanging on to our comfort and our privileges and our honor and our money and our freedom and everything else, well, then all the threats work. If the only thing that matters is fearing God and doing what he wants, if we really can trust him, then the threats don't work very well. But it's not easy to get there. We need each other to get there. So let's pray. And the, the worship team can come up, lead us in worship to the Great One. Lord, we thank you that you are worthy. You are able. You are creator. You are revealer. You can speak to us and do stuff in us that we cannot do in ourselves. Lord, I confess that the threats around us can make me afraid, can wear me down. But you are greater than the powers, principalities, the spiritual authorities, the people and institutions and political and economic authorities. Would you deal with my fears, Lord? Would you deal with our fears about what can happen to me, what can happen to us, what can happen to our church? Would you help us to be a force because of the force of your Holy Spirit so that we can speak by the power of your Spirit and act by the power of your Spirit in love and compassion and say, what, you mean this really amazing thing that Jesus did for this person? Is that what your question is about? God, may we be people who are known for the way that we are blessing and benefactors to the neediest. May those be the things that get us in trouble and make us have to explain. Lord, by your hand, give us courage. Demonstrate, act to show yourself. Speak. Reveal yourself. Give us courage, boldness, and perseverance. Refine us like gold and bring forth the fruit that you have. May people know you. May we know you so that others can know you. Out there in the church without walls. So we can celebrate it when we come together, Jesus. Thank you in your name, Jesus. Amen.